Morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. And, uh, trust you've had a lovely Christmas, celebrating with uh, folk, at, uh, your family and, and friends and things like that. And uh, I trust that uh, over these next uh, few weeks or so, if you've got a bit of a break, that'll be a refreshing and relaxing time for you. We've uh, come this morning, as Robert said, to the last in our series in James, the, uh, the last couple of verses in James chapter 5. Before we turn to this, let's uh, just come to the Lord and ask him to, uh, to help our hearts learn from what he teaches us today. Father, this morning, uh, Lord, we uh, want to thank you first, first of all for this wonderful letter of James which you've included in your word. Father, we want to thank you for the many lessons which we have uh, been taught throughout the, our time in this letter. We want to thank you, Father, for the fact that uh, that although this was a letter written to uh, Jews who were scattered around the Roman Empire back in the early first century, that because it is your word, it is a word that uh, still speaks to us today and has very much, uh, much, uh, very much uh, to teach us in terms of our lives and in terms of our relationship with you. We pray this morning that your spirit would indeed be our teacher, that you might open up our hearts to that which you uh, would want to uh, um, impress upon our hearts today. May your spirit be uh, very much the one who brings about that work of transformation in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a six-month journey that we've uh, that we've been through in James, and I trust that it's been both a, a challenging and a rewarding time for those of you who have sort of been able to uh, uh, be a part of uh, of the, uh, the the congregation here as we've worked our way through this uh, letter over the past little while. I think it's quite fitting as we come to these last verses this morning that uh, that James finishes his letter speaking about those who have wandered from the truth. As we've seen through our time through James, and you might recall that uh, James's concern has not only been to, to teach us about how to become mature believers in Jesus Christ, to, to, to learn and grow in our faith, but what he's also done is, is he's actually challenged us in terms of whether or not we actually have a genuine faith or not, whether or not our faith is real in Jesus He's wanted to, uh, to to sort of try to help us to see that that there are there are certain things which we can look at in our lives, certain evidences, if you like, that we can look at in our lives, which actually point us to the fact of whether or not our faith is is a real faith, a genuine faith, or not. And unfortunately, James says that there are some in, amongst the uh, the church and the church in his day and the church in our day who, in fact, deceive themselves because they think they're believers in, in Christ, that they, that they have this genuine faith, when in actual fact that's not the case at all. As James draws his uh, letter to a conclusion, his emphasis here this morning is to call those who, in fact, are wandering from the truth, the truth being God's word, and to, uh, to help them to, uh, to see the fact that this is, a, is only going to lead them to death and destruction when, in fact, God wants us to, to, be, to, to walk on a path which brings about a genuine light in our life, a light of, of his truth in our hearts and in our lives, One, a, a life that, 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 uh, that not only is a life which is a life of, of great blessing, knowing that, the, that God walks with us and encourages us in that, but also a life which results in, in, in an, an eternity with him in heaven. James emphasises in these verses, um, he wants to, to call believers to how important it is to try to save those who are in fact wandering from the truth. Now you might say, well, you know, look, it's only, only Jesus who can save and you'll be right. 
It is in, in fact true that Jesus is the only one who can save a person from their sins. But God uses his people in that process. God, in fact, uses us as his instruments to not only proclaim the truth of his gospel, but also to live it out in our lives so it becomes a living testimony to those around about us of God's reality, that God is indeed real, that that his word is true, and that he does transform hearts and lives by his spirit. Now, there's some conjecture this morning in, this, in these last couple of verses as to who James is speaking about, whether he's actually speaking to believers or unbelievers. And whilst you know, we, there are certainly, unbelie- certain, certainly, sorry, certainly believers who do indeed wander from the truth, and we need to, uh, to, to recognise that and to draw alongside people who, uh, who are struggling a little bit in their faith and encourage them and, uh, and, and, and urge them to sort of you know, try to get back in a right relationship with God, to, to urge them in that. I recall you know, through the, the Bible, there are a number of um, examples of that. But one of the examples that really stands out to me is the prophet Nathan when he comes to David. David has has, uh, has sinned terribly with with uh, by committing adultery with Bathsheba, and uh, and and the prophet Nathan uh, comes to David and he and he challenges him about this uh, this particular sin. And David, you know, God uses the prophet Nathan to to, to truly. You know, touch David's heart. You know, it really impresses upon his heart the seriousness of what he's done. And God used Nathan to actually bring about repentance in David's life. And that's what, you know, God wants us to do as well as a community of faith here. We are to support and encourage one another. One of the easiest things we can do as Christians is to judge and criticize. You know, when a person is wandering from the, from the, you know, from, from God's truth and living a life which we know is probably not, you know, what God would, would want for that person, the easiest thing to do is to, is to go on the attack and to, and to criticize them and, and, and tear them down, you know, for, for the way, for, for, for the way in which they're living. In actual fact, the Bible talks about rather than criticizing and judging, what we should do is we should seek in love to draw alongside and to, and, and to encourage them. You know, to, 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 to say, you know what, I know that sometimes life can be hard and the things in our lives can, 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 can draw us away from our relationship with God. And, and we all struggle in that. So can I pray with you? Can I encourage you? You know, God, God wants to use us in that way. And it's a wonderful and incredible way to be used. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. But there's a warning that goes with that. It says, But keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. It's easy for us to sort of go into a situation like that with, with a mindset of, of a superior mindset. Oh, I'm, I'm going really, really good in my faith and I'm here to sort of help you out because, you know, you're a brother in need and I'm, I'm just going so well, in, you know, with things. Pride very quickly leads to fall. And that's what we need to be very much careful of in doing that. Now, having said that, having said that, 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 that there are believers who indeed wander from the truth from time to time, we get away from God. James is in fact referring here to people who are indeed unsaved, those who are not in a relationship with God at all. 
And he makes it clear in these verses, there are those among the body of believers who are in danger of going to hell, who are in danger of going to a place which is an eternal separation from God. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But James says, he says, brothers, he says, if anyone among you, see that in verse 19, my brothers. So he's addressing, he's addressing the, the church, he's addressing believers in the church. And he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, Anyone who considers themselves part of the community of faith. So James is saying, you know what? We need to make, we need to look around at the people around about us. Sitting in our pew, sitting, sitting around you in your pew today. Perhaps they're people who, who regularly come to church. Perhaps they're people who regularly, you know, sort of attend, you know, Bible studies or things like that. Or they might come to and be actively involved in ministries. James is saying, look around you and actually see whether or not there are evidences of genuine saving faith in that person's life. Are they walking in the truth? See, James is saying here that, that not all who come to church, not all who, 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 uh, who serve in ministries in the church are those who are walking on the path of truth, who are in fact saved by God. They, in fact, they are wandering from his truth. They are not doers of the word, they're only hearers of the word, as James points out. See, what we need to re- remember is that there is, there'll be evidences in our lives of changed hearts. And that cha- those changed hearts will produce good works. Now, we've looked throughout James of what some of these good works are. A genuine desire to love God. A genuine desire to not only love God, but also to love and care for others with a sacrificial kind of a love. A genuine desire to be holy, to reject worldliness, to guard our tongues, to humbly submit ourselves to God and to his word. To resist the devil, to be patient in suffering, to endure and persevere in steadfastness of faith. They're the kind of good works that James emphasises right the way throughout his letter. And they're the kinds of things that point to a genuine saving faith in a person's heart. Unfortunately, James is saying there are those who have heard the word of God who regularly sit under the teaching of the word of God, but yet, like in the parable of the sower, they, there's nothing that has produced a harvest of righteousness in their lives. In fact, the word has sort of fallen on their hearts and, and it's fallen either on, on barren ground, it's fallen on, on ground which just, it just, you know, just withers away or it's, it's, it's snatched away. Or it's fallen on, on ground which is, which is rocky and it's sort of taken, started to take root and started to sort of grow, but then, you know, it's, it's just withered and died because there's no real sort of ground there for it to grow in. Or it's fallen among the thorns where it's sprouted and, and started to grow, but the, the things of life and the pressures of life and, and things like that and, the, and the, the appeal of the world has actually choked the word out. And so it's, it hasn't produced any kind of fruit in their life. It's interesting that James uses this word truth this morning in this passage. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. 
Now that implies to me that there is, a, there is such a thing as objective truth to be known. There is a, de- a definite right and wrong that we, that we have given to us by God. There's a way of truth that leads to life and there's a way of error that leads to death. And this morning we have to ask ourselves the question, are we on the right path? Am I truly on the right path that leads to life? Our world will tell us today that, you know, this kind of talk about truth is silly, this, this, this objective truth. In fact, they say that truth is something that is subjective rather than, rather than objective. It's something which is centred in experience rather than in moral absolutes. You know, no one has the right to tell you that your truth is wrong these days. It's called intolerance. Mind you, it's only called intolerance if you don't believe what they want you to believe. People say that no one has the right to force you to to believe or obey their truth because it's called bigotry or prejudice. But again, it only it's only that way if if it's you know those people who are sort of wanting to push a particular line. The problem that we strike in this kind of thinking is that what happens when you get two views of truth in opposition to each other? Which then is the right truth? The Bible teaches that there's a creator God who made all things and who rules over all things. And he has determined what is right and wrong and good and bad. It also teaches that although we were created by God, made in the image of God, all of us are in rebellion against him. In fact, we are people who have denied his authority. We have not worshipped God in the way that he deserves. We've not listened to him. We've not obeyed his commandments. In fact, we've lived in a state of hostility towards him. We spoke about this on Christmas morning, if you were here. And of course, we're told from the Bible that this ultimately leads to death, spiritual death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. We spoke this morning about the soul, about the body and soul, and how Zachary was telling us that the soul goes on forever and ever. Yes, some of you might have heard that. Our soul is, is really the essence of who we are. It is us. This body is kind of like gives us a, a kind of a, 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 um, an outward kind of appearance to those around about us. But it's our soul who is, it defines who we truly are. And that is what survives physical death and continues into eternity. And we will be conscious in that eternity. We will be conscious of what is going to happen to us in that time. And for those who continue in a state of hostility towards God, we are told, the Bible teaches of this second death, this complete and utter separation from God forever. In fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Did you know that? He spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And he describes hell in a number of places. Matthew's gospel in particular, there's there's a number of references there. I won't go into them all this morning. But he speaks of it as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now ponder that for a minute. 
a place of weeping and wailing. What causes us to wail? What causes us to wail? Incredible suffering and torment. That's what causes us to wail. And that gnashing of teeth is a real kind of, of, of feeling that, you know, we've just, we've just been so foolish. We've just been so foolish and, we, and now we're going to suffer forever and ever and ever for ignoring and denying God. There's no hope for this person if they remain hostile to God, if they remain unwilling to submit their lives to God, if they refuse to bow their knee to God. See, every day that we fail to do this, every day that we fail to submit ourselves to God, to bow our knee to him, to admit our sin and ask for his forgiveness, we are, we are cemented even more in that place of hostility and, and rejection and rebellion towards God. And therefore, we are headed more and more definitively to that eternal separation from him forever. See, this is, this is James' heart. It's James's heart, but it's God's heart being poured out and expressed through James in this letter. People who are wandering from the truth is a serious business because it's, an, it's their eternity which is at stake their eternal lives that are a state, the future of their souls. And James says, my brothers, if anyone among you is wandering from the truth, then they are in danger of this whole experience forever and ever and ever in their lives. And so he calls us, to be people who seek after them in order to help them to know the truth about God. Because it's never too late. While we still have breath in our lungs, while we still have an ability to, to respond to God's forgiveness, there is still hope. There is still hope for every single person. And you can, ha- you can have the assurance of God's forgiveness and his promise of eternal life forever in his presence. You can have that assurance in your heart today and always, knowing that, that, you are, that you belong to him and that there is nothing that can ever separate you from his love in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of assurance that you can have with God. But it's got to be on God's terms. It has to be on God's terms and not ours. And God's terms are that we must come through faith in Jesus Christ. We must recognise that Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is the only means by which our sins can be paid for and which we can be reconciled to God. It is the only way. We need to confess our sin, admit our need for Jesus and admit that God's way is right and we are in rebellion against him and ask Jesus to save us. And when we do that, he will. He will save each and every one of us who comes to him in this way. Folks, 
Christmas morning, the emphasis was on being, being reconciled to God and the importance of being reconciled to God. That's why Jesus came. We've just celebrated Christmas and the birth of Christ, but that's why Jesus came. He didn't come just to, you know, to give a few people, a, a, you know, a nice kind of feeling in their lives, you know, to, to just, you know, give them a, this false sense of, of hope and, and, and peace and things like that. He came to give us a concrete hope of eternal life forever and ever with God. He came to seek and to save those who are lost to God. And at that point in time, we were all in that category. Every single one of us. James's emphasis here is that all believers are obligated to then carry out this same kind of ministry which Christ himself came to do. That we are obligated in this. We are constrained to help people, bring people back to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 to 20 is probably one of the most you know, essential passages in this where Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God is making his appeal for us. Did you pick that up? That it speaks about the salvation that, that is brought about through Jesus Christ, but the responsibility that comes with that salvation, and that is to be ministers of reconciliation to help reconcile people to God through preaching and proclaiming that message by both word of mouth and by action, by the way in which we live our lives. We are ambassadors for Christ. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are his representative here on earth. Did you know that? You are Christ's representative today here on earth. You belong to him and he wants you to live a life which honours and glorifies him and which points people to him. This is first and foremost our ministry. Now, yes, ultimately it is a work of the Spirit of God in a person's heart to bring them to a saving faith in Jesus. We cannot do that. No matter how good our arguments are, no matter how good our lives are, we cannot physically bring a person to saving faith in Jesus. That has to be a work of the Spirit of God. Yet God calls us to be his instruments in this process. And there, there is no greater calling in life. There is no greater calling in this world than to be Christ's ambassador and to bring, and to help bring people to be reconciled to God and to know eternal life in Him. James goes on to say that if someone brings him 
the, the, the person who brings them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. One of the shows that I sort of sometimes like watching on TV is a show called Bondi Rescue. It's about a group of professional lifesavers at Bondi Beach in Sydney, and they're you know through the summer how they go about you know doing. They've got all you know faced with all kinds of situations on Bondi. Bondi has been one of the most famous beaches in Sydney, and one of the beaches that is attended by you know thousands upon thousands of people throughout summer. One of the most distressing and the most heart-wrenching situations that these lifesavers face is when they actually pull a person from the surf who is unconscious. And they bring them up onto the beach and then they have to start CPR to sort of try to resuscitate this person. And all of these anguished sort of onlookers all sort of start to hover around and, and these guys are working, you know, as hard as they possibly can in order to, to save this person's life. Their life is at stake. Their very life is at stake. And it's up to them to do all within their ability and power in order to, 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 to resuscitate this person. And so they try and try with all their might. And can you imagine the sense of relief that, that comes with knowing when that, when that person, you know, suddenly starts coughing and spluttering and, you know, coughing up water and that sort of thing. And then eventually they're sort of, you know, they're able to be reunited with their loved ones. You know, they, they, there's a smile brought back on their face and there's, there's a, there's that, 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 that ability there for them to, to, to continue on in life. Can you just, can you imagine just how, how exhilarating that would be to be able to be used in that situation to save that person's life from drowning. Yet the reality is is that although that person's life has been saved there and then, one day they are going to die. And that death will be final. And it might not be a happy, such a happy ending for them after that death, because if they don't know God, if their sins have not been paid for in Jesus Christ, then they are lost forever and ever in, you know, to, to, to this, this, this place which Jesus says is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. This eternal torment. I wonder if we as Christians have failed to grasp the absolute seriousness of the responsibility that God has given us in joining him on this search and rescue mission here on earth? Have we truly grasped the seriousness of this? This has been something which I've wrestled with this week myself as I've prepared this message. Have I truly grasped the seriousness of what we're dealing with here? We are dealing with a person's soul. We are dealing with the eternity of that, that person's soul. Your friends, maybe even some of your family, people who you, you, you work with, these are people who may be these people who have, who have wandered from the truth of God and are currently on a path that's leading to a Christless eternity. 
And you just might be the person who God wants to use. You might just be the instrument that God wants to use in helping this person come to a saving faith and to have their soul saved and the multitude of sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You. Yes, you. No matter how old you are or no matter how young you are, you just might be God's chosen instrument for that particular person. Did you know that today? Now, if God has, is, is about this kind of ministry and he's called us to be about this kind of ministry, I know it's hard. I know some of us see it as a burden and a chore and something which we would rather not do because it's scary I don't want to talk to someone else about my faith because I'm afraid of what they might say to me or say about me. But what is the worst that can happen? In this country today, what is the worst that can happen to you? They can call you names. They can put you down. They can ridicule you. That's about the limit of it, isn't it? Can I ask today, so what? So what? If it just means that you have got to put up with some shame and some criticism and some ridicule, but there is a chance that that person's soul might be saved, then weigh it up, folks. Weigh it up. What's more important? What's more important? That's what James is saying here. That's what he's saying in this message to us today as he closes his letter. For the person who is used by God to bring back a wandering sinner, there can be no greater no greater thing in your life. There can be no better way that you can invest your effort, your energies, your life today than to be invested in the things which God has called us to. And that is first and foremost a ministry of reconciliation. Psalm 32 verse 1 says this, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the person whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And I would add to that, how blessed is the one who helps another experience that blessing. Folks, this morning, three words that come to mind from an old hymn. Rescue the perishing. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save, but he wants to use you in the process. Can I go so far as to say, not only does he want to use you in that process, you need him to use you in that process because that is how we grow and mature in our faith, by stepping out and trusting him. He is promised, he says, the harvest is plentiful. That's Jesus' words, by the way, to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, 
In other words, there's so many people out there yet to, to come into the kingdom of God. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, we are to pray and ask the Lord to send out harvesters. But first and foremost, we need to be willing to be one of those harvesters. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning as we've come to the end of James. Lord, we recognise that, uh, that James has emphasised this whole aspect of what a genuine and saving faith looks like. Lord, that it's very much a, it expresses itself in, in a genuine love for others. And there is no greater love that we can show others than in being concerned about their eternal future, their eternal destiny. Lord, help us to put aside those fears, or our own fears of maybe being shamed and ridiculed, but instead, Lord, to, put, to entrust ourselves into your hands and to, be, to, to say to you, Lord, I want to be available to, to you, for you to use, to be your instrument. And Father, lead us to people. Lead us to the people who, Lord, you know that there is a work of the Spirit going on in their lives. Lead us to these people and help us to, to be these, these ministers used by you in this reconciliation process. And Father, that we might experience the great blessing that these people then have of coming into a saving faith with Jesus. And therefore, Lord, experience the blessing of knowing that you have used us in that process. Father, we thank you that you are a God who indeed cares for us like no other God. You are the only true God, the living God. Help us always to remember that you have saved us and in saving us you have called us to serve. May we indeed be humble, obedient servants of you in Jesus Christ. Amen.